0: Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekull, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, how's it going tonight, man? Living the dream, as always.
1: So shout out to my You're former colleague. You're always living the dream. My former colleague, James Wagner, used to say living the dream whenever you asked him how he was doing and it, it it never ceased to annoy me. And so I just, it was like a little inside joke to myself there. James Wagner, living the dream.
0: Inside jokes to yourself are the best ones, in my opinion. I feel like that's Um, what this podcast is for, you know? (laughs) I mean, you know, I make outside jokes and, you know, sometimes you pick them up. Sometimes you pick up what I'm putting down, sometimes you don't. And, you know, that's that's called being a good teammate and a bad teammate. We learned that lesson last week. Um, maybe we'll learn it again tonight. We'll see. You know, I'm, I'm coming off of a rousing game of Monopoly that I was playing earlier. Um, I feel like that has some weird parallels towards MLS and the entire system of American soccer. Um, but, you know, that's a separate discussion, too. We're going to talk about a few different things tonight. I'll I'll kind of lay out the table of contents for us. Um, we're going to hit on on the Red Bull situation. Uh, the club fired Chris Armis last week. We did not talk about it on the show. Last week, we dealt entirely with the Deloitte Hansen and RSL fallout. We're going to talk a little bit about Atlanta, um, and the sale of Pitti Martinez, um, uh, over to Saudi Arabia. And we're going to talk a little bit, uh, kind of about some of the broader themes involved in, in both of those clubs, uh, and how they pertain back to MLS and trends with hires on the, on the head coaching level and the executive level, uh, soccer executive level. Uh, and and maybe a couple of other bonus topics sprinkled in there. Who knows? We're we're just living the dream, as you said, Paul.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to do some actual like roster discussion analysis today, which will be a, a change for Allocation Disorder, a podcast designed around roster and cap analysis.
0: Yeah, best laid plans. You know, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face by a pandemic and an MLS's back tournament and. You know the team sale because of racist comments and all, all of that jazz. So anyway, we just roll with the punches. We live with we we live the dream. And uh, one person not living the dream right now, unfortunately. God, that is a terrible transition. <laughs> I apologize, Chris Armis, um, a good man who who lost his job last week. Um, regardless of whether or not you think he's a good coach, he's pretty universally known as a good guy. And, uh, you know, it had been two and a half seasons with the Red Bulls for Armas, uh, first season he came in and he took what Jesse Marsh had built and improved it. I believe he had a better record than Marsh did in 2018, led the club to a Supporters' shield, uh, at the time an MLS regular season points record. Uh, and then 2019 made the playoffs, uh, I believe as a six seed lost in the first round to Philadelphia in an insane match. Um, and this season, uh, you know, not going so well, really struggling in the attack. Um, but solid defensively competing very hard every match. Um, it wasn't enough for new club head of sport, Kevin Thelwell, who came over from Wolverhampton this winter. Uh, he made the change. Armis and his assistant CJ Brown are out in New York. And to me, I have a lot of questions, a lot of questions, but we'll start with the most basic one, Paul. What, what do you think of that decision?
1: I think it was harsh for Chris Armas. You know, I thought it was interesting that um, when I was making calls the other morning when Armis was fired, the reaction I got from multiple people um, was basically that it was unfair. Um, that they felt that Chris Armas was getting more out of the roster than anyone should have expected. And so, you know, I know that the Red Bull fans weren't happy with him. But let's look at what this roster is compared to what it was in 2018. Let's look at the players who are gone who were a part of that 2018 team. Tyler Adams, Luis Robles, Bradley Wright Phillips. And and who did they replace them with? Those Those three key players. You know, even even like a player like Felipe never really got replaced on that team. Yeah, um, you know,
0: Casares, you could say replaced Felipe, but he was meant to be the Adams replacement. You could say Sean Davis replaced Felipe. Anyway, your points Michael to-
1: Murillo, another another Kamar Lawrence. You know, there 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 are some big name players who left this team and never got replaced at the the same level, or very you know certainly BWP. Certainly not Tyler Adams, and, and I would argue neither of the two starting fullbacks. So, I thought it was harsh. I don't know. Am I, am I off on this? Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think entirely. I think there are
0: valid criticisms of Armas. Um, you know, he came in kind of with the idea that he wanted to add a club to the bag, so to speak, for the Red Bulls. They were press, 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 and they didn't know what to do. When the other team said, okay, we'll give you the ball. They couldn't break people down. Um, I think the best example of that was, I think, the 2018 Champions League semifinal against Chivas. Um, They just had no clue what to do when Chivas backed off. um, Matias Almeida team, if I remember correctly. Um, And Armas said, okay, we have to have a plan B. And he tried to build that and it never really worked. And in the process, they got away from what made them so good just a little bit. And that was the pressing system. You throw that in with the losses of the players that you mentioned, Paul, and the fact that they haven't replaced them properly, at least. Um, and you have a team that's a lot worse. Um, I also think that certain players regressed under Armis. And I think that's important, right? Kaku. He had a great first half of 2018. He hasn't been the same since he's been pretty ineffective, um, here over the last year. In fact, um, you know, has Aaron Long gotten better?
1: I'm not sure. Tim Parker hasn't. I know that. Um, well, surprisingly, so Sam, or not so surprisingly, the first two names you mentioned, both players that were involved in potential sales, both players who had yep. their sales turned down by the club, mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm. Both have seen their performances dip since then. I'm not saying something that, that.
0: also was, happened. Something that also happened with Kamar Lawrence before
1: he was selected. Exactly. So, I mean, you have to factor that stuff in as well. And Sam, I yeah, would also say 100%. you're 100% right. I thought it was a mistake to a certain degree from Armis trying to turn a pressing team built on pressing into a team that tries to keep the ball at all or, or I, do anything. I disagree
0: with that. But I think I think the idea of ha- adding the club to the bag was, was a fine idea, even if it didn't work out. Well, here's my as beef as with it. Worked.
1: They didn't sign any players that are good at keeping the ball. Yeah, that's the problem. So, you have this plan, this idea to add the club to the bag like you said. Fine. Sign some players capable of playing soccer.
0: Yep. And and then they never went and did that. And that brings me to my larger kind of question. Well, actually, before I get there, the other part of this is Stellwell, the new head of sport, the new boss, right? And this is something as old as, as, old as soccer clubs, right? The new guy comes in, new GM comes in, and he wants to bring in his own head coach. And I think there's probably a real element here because it's not like the Red Bulls had a terrible record when Armis got fired. I think they were three, four, and two. Um, you know, in the playoff position, albeit a very expanded playoff field. Um, but but right in the mix. And there may have been a sense with Thelwell that like this is a bit of a wide open season. Um, the Red Bulls under Armis could have conceivably figured it out, made a decent run in the postseason. And then you're sort of stuck with someone who he clearly didn't believe in. And I think, you know, maybe that explains the quick trigger finger here a little bit. Um, So I think that's an element of it as well. Uh, But my larger question is what are the Red Bulls? Like, what do they expect? Like, what's the standard that they're holding these guys to? They don't spend money on the first team. And Armas, if you take away 2018, right? And you say, oh, that wasn't him. That was Jesse Marsh, which I I think is harsh personally. Um, And I wouldn't do that. But even if you want to do that, Um, he was basically 500 from 2019 on. And the team was really struggling to score goals this year. Um, And that's a real thing. And the form wasn't great. And all that stuff is real. So, I'm not saying this is necessarily the wrong decision. But what do the Red Bulls want? They don't spend on the team. They don't go out and sign players. They ran out there with Brian White and Tom Barlow as their first two options at striker this year. Like, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to those two players, but if you're going to start those two, you can't expect to be a great scoring team. You can't expect to be at the top of the league, you know? And about 500, that's probably where you should be with this roster, right? And and about 500, with what you spend, you're punching above your weight. So, what do the Red Bulls expect? What do they want to be? I'm not sure. I talked to Calvin Thelwell a couple weeks ago. He's like, we're a big club. And I'm like, eh, you can say that. That's not what the evidence says.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to be harsh. I'm not trying to be harsh on coverage of the Red Bulls. But when those young American players that you mentioned had some little nice scoring runs when they first came in. It was like, oh, these guys are for real and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, it's fine to think that as a fan or an analyst from the outside and talk about the positives of a player or their performance. But if you're a club, you're running a real club trying to win trophies in Major League Soccer, there is no way that you can put together a long-term plan that has those players as your starting strikers. You, it, it's irresponsible. This league is growing and let's be honest, it's growing more international and that's because the, the quality isn't here yet. It's really not here yet domestically. There are more good not young players. Not here for 26 teams, anyway. Yeah, I mean, there are more good young players in the league and we're seeing some of them come up, but you but need there are more to teams. go get talent yeah. elsewhere, right? You need to you need to find international players that can supplement your roster and especially in this league on the attacking end of the field. You know, and I, I'm excited to see what, what happens next with the Red Bulls from their academy. I'd like to see another young player come up and be a difference maker the way Tyler Adams was. Or even Sean Davis, who's been a consistent major league uh, Their
0: academy teams haven't been great these last few years, Well, by the way. They've Clark, been passed
1: by NYCFC. No, I had someone mention Caden Clark to me the other day as an interesting prospect. I know he's been he's done well with Red Bulls too. He's 17 years old. You know, maybe he turns into something in the next year or two. That'd be great. But that doesn't mean you don't have to go out and spend money. Look at no. look at the teams yeah, in this exactly. league that have been successful and and won MLS Cups. Toronto FC, one of the highest spending teams in Major League Soccer, every single year. Seattle Sounders. Probably not in the upper echelon anymore, but consistently spend money and get their DPs yeah, but, right. But right below. Right, right below. Right below. Oh, and they get their DPs right, which is crucial. Okay? that That's the yeah. money. And then Atlanta United, with Tata Martino, spent major money. And and everyone wants to point back at that Red Bull season when they won the Supporter Shield. Well, to be fair,
0: it was more than one season.
1: Yeah, right? well, they, they like, had
0: success, they, but they at, were, they were good for a decade, a really good regular season. But,
1: team but here's what happens. They went, it's like, to me, it's similar to an international cycle, right? Like their players got started to get toward the end of the cycle where they were outperforming their salary by a significant margin, right? No one's going to argue that BWP was a, was a deal, right? He was an absolute steal for even a million dollars. Total bargain. Tyler Adams, homegrown deal, absolute steal. Aaron you know, Long. Same. Aaron Long. The product even if you want to go beyond that, the money that they were paying Dax McCarty, absolute steal. The money that they you know, the fact that they had a, a an Iron Man goalkeeper who was a standout in Major League Soccer. Kamar yeah. Lawrence and Murillo both came on low money.
0: Even Cleshton wasn't wasn't on that big of a, of a deal, and he was the assist leader back to back seasons at one right. point, I so, believe. Like Yeah. And it's just not sustainable like that. It was amazing what they did. This is not to take credit away from the organization because they did a really excellent job all of those years assembling those rosters on the money that they did. But it's just really hard to repeat that. And I think that's the point you're making there, Paul. And that goes back to my question. What do the Red Bulls want to be? Right? And everyone's like, oh, they're, they're this feeder club. They're not. They're not a feeder club. They've sold one player to Leipzig and Salzburg. And that's Adams. And he's great right? But that's one player. And you have Red Bull Bragantino down there in Brazil. That's going to be a feeder club, right? That's a market that feeds players to Europe and Brazil. The US is not that yet. MLS is not that yet. And, and Red Bull certainly has not been that. So, they're not, they're not really being a feeder club, right? They're not really trying to win just given the money they're spending. Um, and, and Leipzig and Salzburg spend near the top of their leagues, respectively. Um, The Red Bulls in New York do not do that. Um, They're not really, you know, and this is an off the field question, but they don't do a ton of marketing. They don't put fans in that in that stadium, which, by the way, is one of the best in the entire league in the entire country to watch a soccer game at. It's incredible. If you haven't gone, you should try. Um, So I'm just I'm confused. What's the point? What is the point? Like, I don't get it. And and, in these next few months with Fellwell, are going to be incredibly telling, in my opinion right? Is this a situation? Because that's it's going to set the direction, right? And maybe it stays status quo and I'm left confused still. Maybe they start to spend more money. Um, maybe they try and become more of a feeder club. That sort of feels like the way it's going with the signings that Thewell has made, right? With Drew Yearwood, who couldn't get any run in the championship last year. They signed him to a young DP deal. He, he's played a lot in League One in England. Um, I think he's 20, 21 uh, midfielder coming in. Samuel Teta, Uh, a young attacker um, who came in from Salzburg, um, but he did not play at Salzburg. He was loaned out to another club in Austria, um, put up some good numbers over there. Um, So these moves to me feel like more of like, okay, we'll buy a young and then maybe we'll sell them on. Um, And and if you want to be that, that's fine. But just pick a lane because right now, I don't think they really have one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll make one more point on the Red Bulls before you can move us on to the next topic if you want. But... I was speaking to someone, and this is like a year or two ago, a friend of mine who worked in analytics uh, for um, a Premier League team. And he was speaking about the idea of working in Major League Soccer and kind of being excited about that prospect, if it were ever to come along. Because he felt like working for a a bigger Premier League team, you could find the diamonds in the rough, but the, the size of the club he worked for, that wasn't really the job. They had money where they didn't need the diamonds in the rough. They could go get guys who were already a little bit proven at a high level. In Major League Soccer, it's hard to do that. You really can't pay for guys who have proved it at a high level. You have to find the diamonds in the rough. And so for a club like Red Bull... An umbrella like red bull and and we're gonna we're gonna throw Salzburg under that umbrella, even though they don't like to be considered under that umbrella because technically umbrella they're under, they're that, not, umbrella. <laughs> they're under they, that umbrella yeah. um, they typically are a club in Europe at least that likes to look for the diamonds in the rough they like to look for the players where they can get them for a low price, develop them, and sell them and they've done an incredible job of that amazing job, not in New York. And here's the thing, you can do this in Major League Soccer. No one's really taken advantage of it yet, partly because of the cost of scouting. However, these clubs that have umbrellas, the City Football Group, Red Bull Sporting, whatever the the name is, I forget Red Bull Red GMH Bowl. or whatever. Yeah. They they uh, have the uh, money. Even to Montreal, go do it. by the way. Montreal is another Ooh. one. I mean, West there Bologna. are now clubs who can who have the scouting infrastructure to do this. And I've always felt like the Red Bulls are best equipped. 100%. Besides maybe City Football Group. C- CFG is really well equipped, actually. They have a much better... You know, those network, two are the teams that I feel like could take really good advantage 100%. of that softness in the American market, and they haven't done it yet. And I hope that's where wall where is going. Well, it's
0: weird to say that because they actually have... You know, they've sold Adams, they sold Miazga, um,
1: they sold, sold Kamar Lawrence, Lawrence they sold
0: Murillo. So, they, they've sold way more than pretty much every other team in MLS, right? Um, that's admittedly a very, very low bar, but it's it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Speaking of interesting, Paul, down south, the Red Bulls kind of old nemesis here from these last few years. Uh, Atlanta United. Um, big news down there all season with, with the firing of Frank Boer and the injury to Joseph Martinez before that and trying to find their identity. And now P.T. Martinez is not going to be a part of that that search for an identity and, and search for consistency and results and all of that stuff because he has been sold to Saudi Arabian club Al Nasser uh, reportedly for $18 million. That seems hard to believe, but you know, that's, that's what the reports are. Uh, they reportedly again, bought him for 14 million. So somehow despite his tenure, his brief tenure in Atlanta, a year and a half being, I think fairly, uh, I'm thinking of being fair when I say this pretty overwhelming disappointment for the most part, considering the expectations that he entered with, uh, apparently they made a profit reportedly. So, so good for them. Um, we'll we'll see i i would like to dive into those numbers a little bit more as from a reporting perspective myself maybe i'll do that this week but it's just another kind of interesting transition in what is a massive what has become a really massive transition what 24 22 months for that club at this point um they haven't gotten it right um but they do have a chance to hit the reset button pretty hard here uh, we'll see what happens with Ezekiel Barco. There's been rumors with him being sold potentially. I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, what did you make of the PT sale, Paul? What did you make of his time in MLS? How would you how would you evaluate it? What how would you assess it?
1: Well, first of all, I think it was an amazing, amazing get out of jail card for Atlanta United. Uh, if the 18 million dollars is accurate, who cares what he was purchased? I'm for? skeptical. You know who scared what he was purchased for. If it was fourteen million, yeah, I mean, million, if, that's, if that's the million, right
0: number, if eighteen's
1: yeah. correct, they got out. Breaking if neighbors. eighteen
0: is the right number, I hope Darren Eels drove him to the airport. I'm sure he <laughs> did.
1: I'm sure he did. And and you know, I think that look, I I thought Pity Martinez was a good move when they signed him. I'll wear. So did that. I. I'll own it. And I still don't think it was a bad signing in the sense of no. What they, who they were getting, what they were paying for him. Now, in the context of what they did with the head coaching hire, it was an awful move for multiple right. reasons. One, Frank DeBoer style of play did not fit the players that they already had on the roster, including Pithy Martinez. Two, the culture clash, I think, was exacerbated by the fact that you had a player in Pity Martinez who was legitimately famous in Argentina. He was the reigning South American player of the year. He was a celebrity in Argentina and he arrived in Atlanta. Getting called to the national
0: team. Yeah.
1: Yeah, He arrived in Atlanta as a megastar in his mind, right? For the amount of money that they bought him for, the pay raise he was getting, he had an expectation of how he was going to be treated in this league and in this team. And I don't, I don't think that it, his personality was a great one. I think we saw some of the public spats and heard about the private stuff as well. Right, but seems like a bit of a surly guy. If you're gonna pay that money, man, you're you you're gonna have done some research on what this guy's personality was like. Man, that was a clash so. from the start. That was a that was a bad idea. So, do I think that Pitti Martinez would have been a better DP under Tata Martino? Absolutely. Do I think he would have been a better DP under a better fit of a replacement for Tata Martino? Probably. Do I think it turned out to be a good move for Atlanta? No. Do I think that they got out of it? Yeah. Pretty amazing, man, if they sold it for eighteen million.
0: Yeah, if if that's the actual figure, like like I said, I mean, forget Eels driving into the airport. Maybe Arthur Blank did that, right? Um I don't know. The whole thing is it's bizarre. PT had some good moments down there. Um, I don't want to minimize that. He showed his stuff in certain games, but it was pretty, it was few and far between, certainly relevant or relative to expectations that that he had entering. Um, And it, you know, it it leaves them kind of with more uncertainty. Steven Glass is the interim head coach. Uh, I don't think anyone really expects him to keep that job, certainly at this point, Um, which kind of leads me to where do they go next, right? And what does this mean for Carlos Bocanegra and for Darren Eels? Uh, the GM and the president down there. I think there's real pressure on them now. Like, it hasn't worked since Tata Martino left. And, and in fact, it, it's it's failed pretty spectacularly,
1: if we're being honest. I mean, they'd um, argue they, that. They have right? not gotten it right. They'd argue that because they? they won a U.S. Open Cup last because of year. A, because
0: of an Open Cup? Yeah, I mean, Come that's
1: on. what their, their counter argument is.
0: Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, and then they fired the coach six games into 2020. And, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, <laughs> Open Cup. Get out of my face,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I should
0: respect. I should respect the Open Cup more than I do, but it's just. You, Hopefully, you our like,
1: colleagues are not listening to this podcast oh today.
0: No one listens to this podcast.
1: You've upset Jeff gone. Reuter and Pablo Mar already. Listen,
0: like you have to like beat three MLS teams, and if you win coin flips, you get to have every game at home. And like, it's just, like I'm not saying it's not a cool tournament, and it's there's no history like there is. It's just like. All right. If you win a coin flip four times in a row, you have a pretty good chance of winning the tournament. Like, that's just kind of how it works. And that's what Atlanta <laughs> did last year. So good for them. Good for you their digress.
1: coin. You digress.
0: A- anyway, I could go on for hours, uh, but I won't. Uh, yeah. And and so it just sort of, I don't know. I, I, I think there should be real pressure on Bocanegra and Eels now, if there isn't already. Um, you know, the moves that they've made on the playing side, on the coaching side have have not worked. Period. Um, I don't think all of those were necessary. We've talked about that at length um, on this show and elsewhere, so we don't need to spend too much time on it. But where do you think they should go next, Paul, in terms of a coach?
1: South America. I mean, let's be honest. If you spend as much money as you did signing South American players, you should find a coach that fits that culture, that fits that style of play that understands what these players are looking for, how they're coached. I mean, the, there is – I'm not saying that you have to be South American to coach South American players. But the number of players you have on that team that are coming from that culture, it would benefit the team. Well, it's not as many anymore. It's still a decent number. Still a decent number. you got Joseph Martinez. You've got Barco. You've got Ramedi. You've got um, – who am I missing? The, um, Meza. Mesa. Mesa, thank you. That mm-hmm. was the one I was missing. Yeah. Um, and apparently they're talking, according to reports out of Argentina, they're looking back to Argentina for a designated player to replace Pitti Martinez, right. uh, Marcelina Moreno. And I will say, I spoke to a GM today about Atlanta a little bit, came up, Moreno came up, and as did Barco. And the GM was speaking, he, I, it was, um, it was notable to me that, you know, I think that, the tone around Barco is different than the tone around Pity. You know, there's still belief among a lot of the soccer people I talk to that Barco can be successful, and can still be successful in Major League Soccer, and yeah. that he's a player that is still holds value on the international market in Europe. So I, I'm not totally closing the door on Barco, but I do think he's running out of time. To, to show no something, to be real real value. I also think it's interesting to see what they end up paying for a player like Moreno and whether he is DP quality. And um, I, I'm starting to hesitate more and more at the players coming out of Argentina who are coming to Major League Soccer and the prices that are being paid because they are being driven up by the money that was spent in Argentina it by Atlanta early on and I think that we've seen it you know with players like Pellegrini and Miami um Carranza and even <laughs> if you look you know at some of the young players that signed but with LAFC who haven't really been standout players not out of Argentina but South America so out of Uruguay yeah we'll 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 go back I, I want to come back to this later um this idea of kind of young South American players and the values that are being paid. Because if we could fit in a couple minutes about the young money fund, but I, I'm interested to see, as you know, with the pressure on these guys, whether they get this DP signing right and what the expectations are going to look like for whoever they sign uh, in this third DP spot, because they haven't had a, a DP live up to expectations since. You know, the the, really the first three. Since I mean I the think first Diablo class. kind yeah. of was what he was, but Ami Ron and Joseph Martinez certainly lived up to it. Absolutely. Um
0: I I don't know where they go. You you say a South American head coach is, is is the way to be. Um I don't disagree with that. Um, but I do think it, it brings up an interesting point. And that is is kind of the old debate in MLS of domestic head coaches versus international head coaches. And can international head coaches have success in this league? And I'll I'll broaden it to international GMs or sporting directors or technical, whatever you want to call it, chief soccer officers. Um, And history says, no, those people don't have success here. They don't. Um, Results say that. Tata was a huge exception for the most part. He was fantastic. Fantastic did everything right, knocked that hire out of the park. That is a different level of international manager than is typically coming to MLS. That guy managed Argentina, Barcelona. You can say he failed, but his resume was, I mean, it was unlike anything we've, we've seen in this league. Um, Vieira also did a great job at NYCFC. Domit Torrent did a decent job as well. Um, I would say it's a little bit, you know, again, um, Vieira didn't have the resume. He didn't have the experience. Um, as a coach, he certainly had his player. That doesn't necessarily mean much. Uh, I think Thierry Henry might end up as an example of that. Um, but he had the CFG training and the backing of that infrastructure and everything that went along with it. And he did a really nice job. Uh, Paul, other than that, am I missing any international coaches that have been big successes? And, and just to be clear, you know, I'm not counting a guy like Oscar Pereja as an international head coach. He is Colombian. Yes, I understand that. Um, but he played in MLS for years. He coached as on the academy level in MLS for years. A lot of his development was in MLS, right? So, for these purposes, he's steeped in the domestic game. Um, and he's kind of an MLS guy. So, I, I kind of count him in that domestic category. But am I missing anyone? Or is it just those two that have really been successful?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's accurate. And what's interesting about it is... It's worth noting that those are two of the most expensive head coaches in the history of Major League Soccer, Patrick yeah. Vieira and Tata Martino. You pay for quality. Okay. There's a difference in hiring a, you know, we, it's easy to toss everyone on, into one bucket and say foreign, but yeah, you have to dissect their resume, right? Like, and, and as you just did with those two names, you know, they were coming from pretty good backgrounds. And Vieira was a yeah, little bit more of least. a risk, right? Let's be real. Well, Vieira yeah. was yeah, a definitely. risk. And, and he worked out. Tata was not. Tata was the most high-quality head coach ever hired in this in this league. And, you know, I also, by the way, I think that Almeida is a great coach. I think he's getting way more out of that roster than anyone would expect. But they're in last place. Okay? Yeah. He, he's elevated the level of play by a, a lot of those individual players. But he's not a, a magician, you know, that roster is still awful. Mm-hmm. So, I'm not trying to knock the quality of Almeida. I think that – but again, he's another example of an expensive coach with a really strong, successful background. It's different than the hire of, you know, Velko Panovich, Anthony Rafa Hudson. Wiki. Rafa Wiki. Yeah. Uh We can go down the list, right? And e- even someone like Diego Alonso in Miami – you know he's one guard in Montreal. He's won Concacaf Champions League. You know will he will he prove to be a good coach? Was he a product of the teams that he was coaching? They aren't on the same level as Tata, and so no. And and when we get to the GMs, it's a whole nother beast because what you're doing is if you're hiring a GM from abroad, you're introducing them to a totally different world than they've ever worked in before in their entire career.
0: It's not the same thing. It's you're not, not the same you're not, thing. You're not. It's not playing. You're not playing chess in Europe and then playing chess in MLS. And I don't mean that on an intellectual point of view or anything like that. Like it's like you're playing chess and then you're playing like pin the tail on the donkey. It's an entirely different situation. Like it's it's like I don't know. It it would I, be I like mean, asking. I'm struggling for the right analogy. Well, it's just well, it's entirely just,
1: different. Let's just lay it out simply. Like, let's look at the Chicago Fire right now, this year, for as an example. George Heights had good success at Basel, a smaller European team trying to compete in Europe, signed some good young players that were under the radar, developed them, sold them on. They went on to great careers. It's everything you want from somebody that has a European resume, right? They're not. At a huge club spending gobs of money, they understand how to work a budget. But it's not the same because in Major League Soccer, you have three designated player spots. If you miss on one of those players, you're locked into multiple years of a contract. It's not so easy to move them back to Europe. It's not, if you miss on a player in Switzerland, you can move those guys at a loss to another Swiss club or so. It's much easier to make a transfer happen. Yeah. When you give somebody a huge raise to come to Major League Soccer, they're not signing to get out of that money, man. They're not moving off of yeah. that contract. You know, and you can't miss because you only have three of those spots. If you make that mistake in Switzerland, you can stick a guy or, or Mexico or any other country in the world. I don't mean to pick I'm just picking 1GM that that's a foreign GM I don't mean to pick on him but like let and you pick any any country in the world if you miss on a player you stick him on your bench you sign another guy you take the financial hit and you you can't do that in major league soccer that alone makes the job significantly more challenging and the the we talk about targeted allocation money that hasn't really opened up the budget that much. It doesn't really change the equation that much compared to the rest of the world. That's why MLS still fails to compete in CONCACAF Champions League. And that 100%. is why. And I, and I, one more thing, Sam, I know I'm on a little bit of a rant here, but, and, and <laughs> I, I believe this more than you do. Keep rolling, Paul. You're living the dream. I'm living the dream here, but I think that there's a real, it takes a couple years for, GMs from outside of Major League Soccer to recognize that there is talent for depth in Major League Soccer and that just because you know a player from Europe doesn't make them automatically better than the player in Major League Soccer. MLS has artificially tamped down the value of players in the league via the salary cap, which is why some of them are considered lesser than even though there's no reason why. And they've inflated the value of others, by the way. They've been infl- sure they've inflated the value of others, but there is quality in major league soccer that can build out the depth of your team. And when your entire focus is on Europe, when you're building these rosters, even for guys who are going to end up making up the numbers, it makes your job a whole lot more difficult. You need that institutional knowledge to be able to sign some quality depth pieces that make up your team. And, and, and that's,
0: that's hard for anyone without MLS experience. Even if you have the, the right attitude about it, right? If you come in and you haven't spent much time watching the league, you're just not going to know where those pieces are. Like, that's just like, that's just kind of a fact of life. It takes some time. Um, Paul, I'm just going to kind of go back these last few years in the playoffs. Um, 2019, some conference finalists, Seattle, LAFC in the West. Brian Schmetzer, Garth Lockerway, Bob Bradley, John Thorrington. All four American. Uh, In the East, Toronto FC, Ollie Curtis, Greg Vanny, Atlanta United, Carlos Bocanegra, and Frank DeBoer, an international coach who (laughs) has since been fired, of course. Right? So, of the seven, of the eight GMs and head coaches, seven were American. Right? 2018, similar story. I think you have Portland Timbers, and who who was there? Portland Timbers and Sporting Kansas City in the West, in the final, right? So, Gio Savarese, a guy who's spent his entire professional career in the United States. Gavin Wilkinson, uh, again, New Zealand, New Zealander, Gavin, um, but another one that's spent the last two decades in the United States. Uh, Kansas City, Vermees and Vermees, right? Running the show, American. Red Bulls, at that time, it was Armis and Dennis Hamlet. Um, You know, Hamlet is a Costa Rican, um, but spent most of his life in the United States. Uh, Atlanta United, Tata Martino, aforementioned, Bocanegra. Um, I could go on, right? 2017, same story. This this is how it is every single year. When you get down to that Final Four, it's pretty much all American in terms of the coaches and the GMs. And that has not changed in MLS ever,
1: (laughs) ever. Um, There are very few exceptions to that rule. You're not saying that there's no talent abroad. It's just that the difficulty of MLS no. makes it more difficult for them to succeed. You need institutional knowledge in this also, league. And and by the way, the, the change that has to happen isn't, oh, like, you definitely have to hire more Americans. And No, not th- all Americans are good at this. What needs to happen yeah. is like the rules need to change to catch up to the rest of the world. So that this to me is indicative of the fact that this is one of the things holding MLS back. It can't take as much advantage of the significant amount of talent and knowledge that exists in a global sport because of rules that that it it puts into its own league. And, And by the way, look at LAFC. Sam, you brought this point up when we were prepping for this show LAFC is probably the most international team in Major League Soccer. You know, NYCFC and LAFC, two pretty, pretty good teams, are built heavily foreign on their rosters. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, when I made the point about domestic talent, you know, I, but I still think you look at some key signings there of guys that made up the depth, you know, there was a knowledge of the league involved in those moves, right? Um, Anyways, I just wanted to bring up that point because I'm sure some listeners are are sitting there being like, well, what about LAFC? Paul
0: Paul likes American depth. um, And he thinks that Americans are better at finding it. And I don't really disagree. So, um, I I don't know. I think it's interesting. I'm not saying that international guys can't succeed. I want to give a shout out to Ernst Tanner in Philadelphia, who I think has done a magnificent job with the union. Um, That team has gotten a lot better since Ernie Stewart left. Um, And I think that's a lot down to him. And it's a lot down to Jim Curtin. And it's also... I don't think the role of Chris Albright should be overlooked in that, right? Because Tanner came in and he had a guy in the front office in Albright who understands the league and understands the player pool and understands all of that, which I'm sure helped with his learning curve. Um, But I did want to give a shout out there. I'm not saying that it's impossible for the international guys to come in and do a good job. I think it's not. Clearly, that's been proven. I'm just saying it's not a great track record. Um, and it is interesting because the way the league is going right now, particularly with GM hires, is, is it European, right? Um, and, you, you know, you mentioned Heights. You have Fawn and Steel in St. Louis, who recently got announced, Axel Schuster in Vancouver. Um, and, and, like, not, not, to, not to insult or offend or anything, but let's be honest, Paul. If these guys were killing it in Europe, they wouldn't be coming to MLS, right? Like, for the most part... Like I think that's a fair thing to say.
1: And or they were, or if they were killing it in Europe, like Ernst Tanner, very respected in Europe, but he wasn't the guy. Yes,
0: no, right? Exactly. He was, he
1: wasn't the guy yeah. anymore. And and he could have thrived in a role, the role that he was in in Europe, in multiple different roles. You know, as a head of academy, as the head of uh, international scouting, or or whatever it may have been. But he gets to be the guy here, right? But yeah. you're same you're, thing you with Silva
0: right yeah. same thing with Thelwell, who was really well respected at Wolves um i believe he sat on the board of the club but he sort of got sidelined in certain ways from what i've been told because Jorge Mendes and for those who don't know Jorge Mendes is probably the most powerful agent in the game maybe in all of sports for being honest reps cristiano ronaldo and a, and a bunch of other portuguese players um wolves has a pretty strong portuguese connection he he makes a lot of moves at that club um you know he has a lot of power there so there's been some chatter that Thelwell got sidelined and that was part of his reason for wanting to leave. Um, And you know, like it, it it just goes back to the overall point that you made Paul, which is, this is such a specialized league. It's so specialized to be able to run an MLS team um, that it does give an advantage to people that have been here a long time. Like it does like straight up. And I think on some level, I kind of enjoy that. I think it's kind of cool. I think it's one of the unique little quirks of MLS um, that all there are all of these rules. You know, it's allowed. It's been good for for my career and your career. I think it's fair to say, <laughs> um, but uh, also it's kind of like hamstringing in certain ways. Right. And it's just another another kind of way to get back to the overall point of the soccer league doesn't operate like any other soccer league in the world for better or for worse. And I think there are elements of both at play in this discussion. Another guy I mentioned, and you mentioned him earlier, Vancouver's Axel Schuster. He talked about young money, as we like to call it on this show, these young designated player. How do we... it's been so long?
1: Can you We refresh just call my it young money, voices? baby? Young money. Well, like,
0: explain. Explain to me what it
1: is. Essentially it's another 3 or so, I think it'll be 3 off-budget players. They're not DPs per se, but what they they function but in the same way you can pay whatever
0: transfer fee you want. They just yeah, have they, a salary
1: limit. They function in the same way as a young DP. You you can pay however much you want in in transactional costs and they will have a certain budget hit against your budget. And the design of this, of course, Goes back to Major League Soccer's push to be a selling league, but what what young money really does? At first, I got I kind I kind of got excited about it. I think if you go back to our first episode, like I, I think this is a great idea. Anytime you put more money in, that that's kind of where I stood on it. Like, put more money in, that's great. Sign more young players, that's awesome. Try to sell more, wonderful. Something I've been pushing for for MLS for a very long time. Harped on it, sell more, sell more, sell more. Here's the problem, man. It's a totally inefficient system. Again, you're creating an – you're using an arbitrary thing, age, to restrict who teams can sign and you're giving them a limit on – no limit on the amount of money they can spend on a transfer fee. But what you're doing is you're putting them into an age bracket where you're increasing the amount of risk of these signings. The, it is hard as hell to nail a good young player as a signing. And it doesn't matter how much so money much, you spend. There's so many unknowns. There's just I so mean, many look, unknowns. Look at yeah. Barco. $18 million spent on Barco. He's not a sure thing. You can get an Atuesta I mean, look at, look at all in one the, signing and look at a, a, the, a Janella in the next.
0: I don't think you know that bad, but I'm not hey, saying he's whatever. a
1: bad player. But you're you're talking about <laughs> millions of dollars spent on these guys, right? And the Brian Rodriguez hasn't he
0: hasn't produced. For instance, look at just go look at the best 18 year old prospect in the world. Go look at an old edition of 442 magazine or the Guardian or whoever puts out these top 100 young player lists and see how many of them hit. It's not a high rate. Like there's just a lot of variance with these things. It's injuries. Maybe a guy like. D- decides he likes to party. Maybe a guy decides he doesn't like soccer that much. Maybe his coach doesn't like him. There are a million things that can happen um, and do happen to young players. So like you said, it's, it's just a riskier proposition the younger they get. Um, I think it is going to be interesting for all those reasons you mentioned. Sorry, go ahead, Paul.
1: I, I was just going to say, I want to come back to the idea. Like, like looking, I, I'm not saying Janela is a bad player or Cifuentes, but you're talking about multi-million dollar commitments. In LAFC, you can bring them along somewhat slowly right? They've got yeah. a pretty darn good roster. No one's talking about how much money they cost because you, you have big money stars, right? You have yeah. even bigger money stars. If you are Cifuentes or Janela in Houston or, or, Red, or Bulls. Red Bulls or Orlando or Kansas City or Minnesota yeah, and you sign a guy for $2 million transfer fee, $3 million transfer fee, the expectation is through the roof, right? Yeah. Look at yeah. Robin Lo- Robin Ludd, right? I think they spent... I think <laughs> You want to say that name. again? Robin Lud. You got to say it again? Lud. <laughs> like Robin Hood, you know? That's why I did the <laughs> celebration. Anyway. <laughs> you know, the expectation for him is to be some amazing starter producing goals and assists all the time because they spent over a million dollars on him or something like that, right? He has salaries near a million. Nowhere else in the world would that number matter. But in a smaller market like Minnesota, if you are a TAM player or a DP, you have to produce at a very high level. And most major league soccer teams are like Minnesota. And this young money fund is going to be, in my mind, similar to what I experienced covering Orlando City. They were the youngest team in Major League Soccer by far in their expansion. Brian era. Roches. And they were Rivas? guys like Carlos Rivas and Brian Roches who had awesome stats. Carlos Rivas had 10 goals in the Colombian First Division. I mean, he was a 1.25 million dollar transfer or 1.75. And right. he was and a in D- but he was a DP. Yeah. But he was a DP. Yeah. So the expectations for Rivas were, were bigger because you put two letters in front of his name. Same with yeah. Roches, you know, same with Roches, who who, who went on to score goals in, in Portugal eventually and whatever. But the expectations were for Roches to be productive from day one. And neither of those players were, were ever going to be that or should have had to be that. And that's what this young money is going to do. It's going to thrust expectations. You think, you think it's
0: going to put expectations on them?
1: I mean, on I don't young know. It's in most markets, and it's, it's young put players expectations that would have been. DMs.
0: It's young players that would have been DPS, isn't it? Fewer expectations than than that.
1: I don't. I think certainly you can think of it as maybe fewer expectations than DPS, but the expectations are that they are going to be that they're multi million dollar signings, right? That they're yeah. off budget well, they, they players are. that you have to hit yeah. on them. Yeah, and 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 it's yeah. stupid. It's again. It's a the only reason that they're thought of that way is is because there are these designations. Because there's only three of them, and three of them, and even TAM is thought of less that way because it's it can be used differently. Right? You can flex that money here and and there, and it's a rung below and all that. Yeah. So I just all I'm saying is let's let's set the expectations low. This is not, and then we won't be be disappointed. Yeah, it's not going to be something that changes the league. (laughs) It's not going to be something that all of a sudden I don't believe that lifts the level of the league. It's money that is going to give more teams more lottery tickets, and you hope that the scratch off Hmm. hits your club.
0: I don't know. Usually we agree on most things. I don't think I really agree with a lot of what you just said. I'm and glad we can finally talk some about drama it here. on a different show. Like <laughs> or we can talk about it right now. We've been going for a while. I'll, I'll hit on some of the points. First of all, yeah, it's more lottery tickets. Um, but I mean, it should raise the quality of the league. It's it's potentially significantly more money that you're allowing teams to spend, right? like Inter Miami could go out and sign three 10 million dollar 20 year olds pay them 600k each and none of them might, would be dps necessarily right and by the way um Good luck i convincing mentioned this a on it to
1: take 600k when you spend 10 million for them, but yeah
0: sure well you know i mean there are ways around it right you can get a cut of that transfer fee and no one needs to know um <laughs> that will happen i bet by the way are uh, you saying that's <laughs> happened
1: before in major league soccer oh uh,
0: sam n- not you, never never um by the way, I think I've mentioned this on a n- different show, but I've been told by a Miami source that Pellegrini, once this rule comes into effect, um, will count towards it. So, he won't necessarily be a DP anymore for Miami. So, that's that's potentially big news. Um, but I digress. So, I, I think it could really change it, right? Yeah, it's it's a riskier proposition than buying a 26-year-old, right? Buying a 20-year-old, but... Some of them are going to hit, and some of them are going to work fantastically. And I think it will raise the level of the league. It's just kind of a little bit dicey sometimes. So, A, that's one. B, like, you know, yeah, does it hurt? Does does it throw expectations out of whack to put these players into different buckets like this? Sure, a little bit. But any league in the world, soccer, basketball, football, otherwise, you don't need any of those designations. The highest paid players have the highest... Expectations. It doesn't matter if they're a DP or if there's no DP tag or if there's no tag or if it's just players one through 23, the guys that you spend the most money on have the biggest expectations. Like that's true in England. That's true in Spain. That's true in Kazakhstan, right? That's true everywhere. So you're going to run into that no matter what. Um, maybe it's a little bit exacerbated with, with the different buckets in MLS, but I, I don't know. I'm not going to go too hard on the league for that. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's exacerbated because there
1: are fewer of them. That's why it's exacerbated. Yes,
0: yes, it is. And, 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 you know, I agree. Like, we've talked about this a billion times, man. Like, you know, the, the fewer the restrictions, the better. Just give the teams a set amount of money and let them spend what they want. But um, that's not happening. (laughs) So here we are. Um, I'm not
1: really sure where this
0: discussion is even going. I feel like we'll come back to Young Money as it gets closer.
1: But I, I I just, I, my thing is this. I I had an interesting conversation about it today, and I just thought, you know, considering we're talking about foreign GMs, and considering we're talking about the difficulty of filling out your roster all international and and institutional knowledge, and the way Mm -hmm. the cap works, I just wanted to. Just put a little bit out there about the young money fund because I do think I, I agree with you. I, I'm going too far to say it's not going to lift the level of the league. You think there will be enough decent players that the level goes up, right? Anytime you insert yeah. more money in, it's a good thing overall. This is what we All always I'm yell saying about, is, man. yeah, it's it's just going to it's being made more difficult than it needs right. to be. And and yeah. the idea behind it is Put that on the tombstone, novel. man. Yeah. It, like,
0: it, it, l- put it in the dictionary definition. It, MLS, more difficult than it needs to be. Like, that's <laughs> what this league is, man. Like And, like, I love it and I hate it. And, like,
1: but the, you're I mean, right, that's man. what it is. It's been good and for you us. Know we, we are MLS and... nerds and that's been good for the career.
0: Well... You can argue that, but you know, kind whatever. <laughs> kind of
1: good for the um, crew. I don't know. This
0: podcast has probably been more difficult than it needed to be, but I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> all twenty-six people that listened to all fifty-three minutes of this show, I hope you had fun too. You deserve it. You deserve. A drink. You deserve uh, an ice cream cone. You deserve to go play Monopoly. You, you deserve a lot. Um, thank you for sticking around with us. We'll be back next week. I am Sam. He is Paul. This has been Allocation Disorder signing off.